Alrighty, folks, we are here live, and I want to start by apologizing. I have a little bit of a cold kind of thing going on, so I've got the me sounds. I'll try and uh, see how I did that. Ooh, uh, 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 mute me as often as possible so you don't have to hear me go all night long. But we're here live. Cat is here also. also if you here. didn't notice, I noticed because she looks freaking gorgeous this evening. But... Um, we want to start off by saying thank you to a couple people. Kat, why don't you take it? So, it's been a while, guys, and we have been doing a lot, but we want to thank our patrons because they are our biggest supporters for everything that we do, especially on YouTube, um, and that allows us to have time and equipment to do the things like these live yawas as well as some of the other videos that we put out. So thank you to our patrons. If you guys don't know what Patreon is or what a patron is, uh, we can definitely talk a little bit about that. I'm sure we'll be talking about that throughout the night in different ways when we're answering questions and things like that. Sometimes we need a little more info and Patreon's the place for that where we can actually have conversations with you about what's going on with your training sessions, your dogs. We can actually review videos, set up live training sessions, phone calls, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, if you want to support uh, what we're doing here, Patreon is one of the best ways to do that. The other, for folks that are looking, um, we do have an online store, standingstonesupply.com. We carry everything that we use and recommend there or as many things as that we can, and we're always adding to that. So definitely take a look at that. Speaking of the store, one of the big things that we have upcoming and we do every year, love doing, we have a huge Black Friday sale. Huge uh, Black Friday sale. All right, folks. So um, the best way to get information about that, we're going to be doing social posts. And sending out a newsletter. So if you are not signed up, subscribe to our newsletter. Mm-hmm. Do that now. You can go to our website and get signed up for it. And then that way, when we send out the newsletter blast of what the sales are going to be, coupon codes, all that great information, you'll be the first ones to get that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I already see a couple folks are doing it, but... Check-in in. Yeah, the way we like to start this out is with check-ins. Let's go down the list here. We've got uh, hello from Dallas, Texas, and from PSU. I'm Vir- not sure. Where, where's PSU? I don't know. Pennsylvania State University? Maybe. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, Olathe, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Ontario, Canada. More Ontario. As always, Scott Clark, good to hear from you. Nebraska, Holdridge, Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Just drove through there about a week ago. Hey, Melanie and Duncan and Don, of course, from Minnesota. Yes, Ethan is happy to be home. I am happier for him to be home, though, I think. Oh, come on now. Equally happy. Mm -hmm. Cottonwood, California. Memphis, Tennessee. Chicago, Indiana. Lola, the Silver Labrador from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Hey, Emily from Oregon. Ah, Kelly, hit record. Bingo, bango. Did it. Thank you. He's on top of it. Ethan's wearing glasses finally. I still don't know how much that's going to help him read the comments and questions, though. Um, But now he has no excuse. (laughs) This is is the truth. Michigan, Minnesota, 
Um, thank you, Blair. We appreciate the support and business, Standing Stone Supply. Uh, we try and get orders out really quickly. Uh, that's one thing that we kind of are going to be running into probably very shortly, though, is we will be getting orders out very quickly through carriers, and then it's in their hands. So hopefully the mail services like FedEx and We USPS, recommend using FedEx. They have way less issues than the postal service. Better track record anyway. Um, but hopefully they will be as quick as possible possible to get orders out to you guys uh, because we'll be fulfilling those as quickly as we can um lots and lots of check-ins we love seeing all these people from all over not only the country but also the world this is awesome uh what was i i was gonna say something else about something i don't know oh 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 i remember what it is so what is it we have been probably doing monthly yawas over the last, well, Cade's six months old. So I would say probably the last six months we've been basically one yawa a month. Pretty um, close. Finally getting into a routine with babies uh, as well as having consistent child care, which really opens up the realm of possibilities of things you can accomplish Um we have a busy life, if you guys probably haven't recognized that from, you know, just the little bit of glimpses you guys get. So we actually are going to be trying to put out weekly live Yawas again. So we'll be announcing those. They'll be every Wednesday, 7.30 Central Standard Time. Um, obviously, there may be one or two Wednesdays that come up that we just can't make it work or if we're on a hunting trip or something like that. But we'll announce, you know, when we are having them. So... I hope you guys are excited for it. We're excited for it. We love sharing topics of interest, whether that's hunting stories, hunting dog health, just general knowledge and information. So that's kind of been the structure of our Yawas recently as we'll do, you know, a beginning half segment where we talk about, you know, some upcoming events and things like that that we've got going on. And then we're going to also be talking about our... Um, topic of choice, like tonight's topic of choice, is hunting dog stories from South Dakota. Uh, we had a lot of young dogs up there this year, and Ethan has some really fun things to share about their hunting experiences. So we want to share that with you. And then after we get done with our topic, we're going to open it up to comments from everybody for answering questions. Of course, we do give preference to people if they want to throw a super chat up there. We're definitely going to answer your question. But if you I have a question. We read through those comments as much as we can. We get a lot of comments, a lot of questions, but we're going to try and answer the majority of them, but definitely tuning in weekly or hopping over to Patreon if we don't get to your question is the best way to get us to answer that. So, um, And we've turned off monetization. We heard that... Uh, it was annoying, which you guys should have told, you, told us mean, that way long ago because we didn't notice. Was it like notice. an ad every three minutes or something stupid like that? Annoying bad okay y'all support us really well on patreon you do super chats you do all the things and we appreciate that very much so we turned off monetization as well as advertisements so during the live free while you're watching live now you may notice here folks that we are not sitting at our kitchen table anymore we uh finally have finished our studio uh, no we have finally gotten into the studio nowhere near finished there's lots of little things that still need to happen, but... Hey, tell the Instagrammers where we're at right now. On YouTube, live. I was like, where are we at? We're in our studio. We were just talking about that. 
But you mean on YouTube. Yeah, right here. There's a bunch of people watching. Hi, guys. We're on YouTube. Oh, you can't hear me through there. But (laughs) head on over to YouTube if you want to watch this. Technology. (laughs) Good job, hon. All right. We'll see you in a little bit, folks. You just distract me when you get the cell phone out. So. That's what we're calling it these days. This is going to be where we're trying to shoot all of our live yawas from here on out. That way we don't have to put everything away every week or what usually happens is just leave everything out from week to week on our kitchen table and then we don't have a kitchen table. So, um, let's see. Anything else that we needed to announce? Uh, something really cool. Uh, a lot of the folks here have bird dogs and some of you have followed along and or purchased pigeons from me. And I'll, I'll get on a very, very, this would be, it's a, it's, it'd be short. Okay. Um, right now, Racing pigeons wise, I'm telling you folks, uh, we've got some really good birds rolling and uh, I took third place overall average speed. Pretty freaking cool. First year racing birds. Already got birds in the in the money. So all of that being said, if you guys are looking for quality homers for training dogs um, and ferals, I'm trying to get a good line on a bunch of ferals right now. So we should have training birds available on our website to ship out very, very soon. We're about to move into the breeding season again, and when we move into that breeding season, we'll have a fair number of quality extra um, homing pigeons that you can start your own lot for dog training with. So, I'm so excited. Come on. Pigeons. Okay. I love it. It's all about that YPM. No, no more grandma in the background. We have baby monitor set up over here, so we know when babies which they've been sleeping through the night for months now. Well, Cade's been sleeping through the night for months now. Uh, Aiden has been sleeping through the night for years now. So we're pretty confident, and we're literally right there if we need to run over and say, what's wrong, baby? Now, the the la- last but not least is um, so that folks know, we're going to talk about some stories, some hunting stuff, some guide stuff, and then the questions here so that you don't get upset or you know what happens sometimes that people are like, why aren't you answering my questions? Um, we do that at the end. Okay. So we will get to questions come the second half of this evening. Perfect. So let's roll into some hunting dog stories for the year. And one thing that I'm going to start out with, because Ethan was up there obviously for an entire month in South Dakota with the dogs. I got to go up for a short little stint in the middle there over Halloween. We brought the boys. Three days. Um, Four days. Three and a half days. Wednesday. I got there Wednesday at 6 p.m. Yep. And I left Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Do the math. Three and a half days. (laughs) Anyway. So, went up with the boys. Uh, Grandma came along. So, we actually were able to go hunting for a little bit while Grandma watched the boys. But we got some family time mixed in there as well, which was nice. Uh, the boys got to see daddy, daddy got to see the boys, I got to see everybody together, it was great, and I got to experience a little bit of the young dog hunting season, because uh, that was one thing that Ethan's guide string was a little bit of the young puppies this year, not very many veterans. Um, we talked about hunting dog injuries in our last podcast, and talked about how Nix and Vex, two of our you know seasoned veterans, Heck of bird dogs were not going to be with him, as well as we had some mamas having puppies, mm-hmm. including 
Piper and we had Muddy and Grit and Quest that weren't up there with them, all seasoned dogs that have been up to South Dakota multiple times, um, lots of hunting seasons, lots of birds under their belts. And so he was running with a fairly young string. He had a few seasoned dogs with him to help show those puppies a little more of the ropes. But predominantly, we had a lot of young dogs up there that gained invaluable experience being on wild birds in South Dakota. Um, And it was kind of fun watching them come into their own. And he has some stories to share about that. Like I mentioned before about our newsletter, though, we kind of hinted at a few of their little stories in the newsletter, Mm -hmm. um, which is fun to read about. So you should head over and sign up for our newsletter if you don't get it already. So... If you guys got the opportunity, I did as many story posts as I could and popped into a few live videos. I believe those live videos are still available on Facebook and Instagram, IGTV, maybe. maybe. Some of them are. Um, it, it's, it's real life, okay? And that's the way that we try and take an approach to all of our training, right? We try and show this is what happens and this is... I mean, don't feel bad. Don't feel alone. Don't feel like you are in the minority here because your dog bumped some birds or ran too big or made a mistake or dropped a bird. Okay. So we had all of those things happen. And in fact, I made a huge mistake, which I found out after the fact that it was a huge mistake. I had Splash. Okay. Young dog, first season up there. She was up there for like a... she went up for one late season hunt with us Late last season, year. and she ran around at the truck and helped me block. I mean, she was just along for the ride. A little puppy. Mm-hmm. She did, in fact, get the opportunity to point a bird. What are we drinking tonight, folks? We're drinking We're coffee. We're drinking coffee. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to kick this crap. So we'll be... Um, we'll be having some drinks maybe in the next Yawa with you guys. Oh, but. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Splash was up there last year, and she had the opportunity in one field to point a bird, a bird. Yep. That was it, okay? So, um, but got to help with some um, some retrieves, got to see lots of birds flushing. Just being on the ground is, is, is a ton of experience, but she was only up there for a couple days. Now, um, Hazel was not up there last year at all. She was green, and... Then I had Twister, I think, which Twister also, this was her first season up there. Season up there. And this was in the opening, opening weekend, um, second day or first, second day of hunting. Yep. So it's literally the first time that I have put these three dogs in the field together at all in South Dakota. And we walked this short shelter belt. It was like half a mile. Okay. It was a disaster. Hazel kept getting sucked up to the other guys, which happens, right? So you've got... Running down to the blockers, basically. Well, not quite that bad, but typically you talk about walking in a straight line. So you've got one, two, three, four, five across this line, and then the line pushes through, uh, you know, whatever cover. Well, sometimes we will, if when we hunt shelter belts, the, the cover is more lineal, if you will. There's not much to hunt left and right. It's only north and south or, you know, straight ahead of you. That's what you have to actually hunt. So the dogs want to do that. They want to run out and then you have to call them back and then they want to run out and then you have to call them back in. 
Then when they get out to the side, they see people who are, we don't walk a perfectly straight line. We make kind of a V. Yeah. So they're wingmen and it helps. Um, but she would get sucked out there and then splash was running bigger than she needed to be. And then Twister was running around my feet and had no idea what was going on at that point in time. So she's tripping me. This dog's stuck at this person out here. And the other dog, as soon as I take my eye off her, she's pretty much run all the way down to the blockers. And it was just ah, very difficult. Okay. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people recognize or realize with young dogs or any dogs that maybe a lack a little experience. Curve. Yeah, and you it's not about just dumping them on the ground and they're going to know what to do. Even if they've had a lot of training, it's a completely different situation being out there actually hunting cover, actually working with other hunters, maybe some other dogs on the ground, and it takes a fair amount of handling. I mean, you're not just putting the dogs out and leaving the transmitter in the truck. You're putting the dogs mm-hmm. down and you're constantly switching between dogs, handling them, um, wearing buttons out if you need to. Yeah, and and that's the thing that I don't think that folks realize, even dogs that have come completely through our program. You know, it's their first season. This is the time that you need to put the most emphasis on handling as well as teaching and developing and setting the stage basically for the next years. Now, granted, we were up there for 30 days. We had lots and lots of dogs um, that came up with clients. Um, A majority of the clientele that come up and hunt with us, they have dogs from us or dogs trained by us. And that's kind of how, I mean, it's all, they're the dog people that are hunting people that I know that say, hey, we'd love the opportunity to come hunt with you. So as the years have progressed, this was uh, year number nine. Uh, Almost it was a great, decade. yeah, it was a great ninth season. We have moved into primarily groups that have dogs from me, which means that my string of dogs gets used a little bit less because we can't dump six dogs on the ground at one time. You're up there for a short period of time. They want to see their dogs work. And as long as it's within reason, as soon as they're like, all right, my dog's a little tired, then I put our dogs down. So, you know, our dogs didn't see quite as much as what they would have maybe in the past, but... Um, it still was a lot of experience. Exactly. The difference between day one and day 30 was insane. Even just halfway through, I think group three. Yeah, I think group three. So we're talking uh, the first 10 days up there. I got the opportunity to carry a gun for a short stint because half the group had to go home and we really need more people. Was so that the DT dream hunt? Uh, no. That was the third group, though, wasn't it? Maybe mm-hmm. the second group. I don't know. It was not very far into it. I got the opportunity to hunt, and it was like, okay, well, there's only five of us now, and that included uh, Tim, a help, uh, godsend, couldn't have done it without him. He, um, and it's fun for us to get to shoot on occasion, you know, so I put Splash and uh, Hazel and Twister on the ground, and we go hunt some grass, and I think Hazel pointed four or five birds for me. I got the opportunity to do the South Dakota hat trick, which I have never done in all of the time I've been up there. I don't know if you even know what this is, basically. I have an idea. Yep. So I shot three grouse and three pheasants. So a limit of grouse and a limit of pheasants in the same day, all over dogs. Uh, Not every single bird was pointed, but almost every single bird was pointed. And um, it's a lot of fun. 
So, you know, having that amount of time, which was only six days, maybe, uh, I think six days up there, it, it makes a huge, huge difference. And it's, and when it's we all say, about that experience. Yeah. When we say birds make a bird dog, it really does. And it's wild bird experience um, and wild bird exposure and just the environment and handling the dogs and um, putting the time into handling them. That's one thing that people don't always think about is if you put the time in their first season of these young dogs to handle them, to set them up for success, to take them on these hunting trips. And I know that sometimes it doesn't work. Maybe their first season, you know, things happen. You can't take a big hunting trip, Um, but getting them the experience that you can and putting your focus and time into making sure that the situation's right and not just dumping them on the ground and saying, well, we'll see what happens. And, you know, they're blowing out birds. They're not handling, they're, you know, not handling their retrieving, all of those things. So you put the time in that first season that you get to take them and that's going to set the stage for the rest of their lives. And that's going to build a really strong foundation for the next season. And you're not going to have to push the button and handle quite as much. Um, Like Ethan's got these veteran dogs that he takes with that, it's nice to run a seasoned dog like Allie on the ground with some of these young puppies because he doesn't have to push the button on Allie hardly ever. No, hundred percent. And, and that was the, like I said, that was the mistake I made. I put too many green dogs on the ground together and it's just kind of how the rotation worked and what, whatever. It was kind of a, like, to be fair, it was kind of a cluster because how many of those girls came into heat all while you were them. up there? Almost all of them. All of so them. So then it was like, well, we can't put Allie down with Hatch boys and or a bunch Thunder. of girls in heat. And then, you know, Allie being one of our females, it's she comes up, she's going to be bred. So she stays back so she's not hunting. So then all I have left is these little puppies that can't run with the boys. So that's pretty much put a puppy with a puppy with a puppy and <laughs> go for it, baby. Woo! Hang on tight. Goodness. But... Um, one thing that a lot of folks don't realize is how much handling goes involved is involved in a young dog. When I am running any, any of the dogs actually, but the older they get, the more experience they get, the less handling that's involved, but it's still there. There's still handling involved. I have transmitter in my hand the entire time that I'm walking the entire time. And I flip dog number one. Oh, you're a little bit too far. Vibrate. Oh, you didn't listen to vibrate. Stim. Nope. Tick, 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 stem. Okay. So your number on this walk is probably going to be about a six to eight range. Then flip it back. Oh, dog number two now. Oh, you're a little too far. Oh, I can't see dog number one now because, yep, hit the locate button. Beep, beep, beep. Don't utilize that as an instant recall every time, but it does happen on occasion. You don't want to utilize that, uh, that beeper as recall, but it happens by sequence sometimes. So, Beep, beep, beep. Oh, oh, you're good. Okay. Back to dog number two. Beep, beep. Oh, yep, you're good. Back to dog number one. Oh, you're too far now. Vibrate. Now, that is the entire walk every day. You just flip back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you get really good at doing it all in your pocket, you know? You figure out where those buttons are at pretty quick. (laughs) And sometimes the dogs get sucked into somebody. Like, I feel the collar. I go to that wingman or I go to the outside man. So, I walk the line back and forth. I mean, while I was up there, I looked at my stats leaving on day 30. I averaged, and we took a day off every third day of hunting. My average for the month was 10.2 miles per day. And that included taking full days off that I didn't do anything but walk around the lot. Yeah, it was funny because you would 
you were telling me you would look at your stats and like the days off, it was like you didn't close any of your rings. No, none of them. It was just like sleep in till six and then um, let dogs out and then start cooking food, prepping, clean the lodge, do all of those things. And then but folks would show up. No, nah, just walking around in circles at the lodge. But then you'd see my, my Apple Watch again says three days in a row that I've like doubled my all of my exercise and standing and work rings all the way around twice. So um, it's a it's a lot of exercise and everything else. But all of that time spent handling those dogs makes a huge difference. Now, now, all of those things being said, folks. Now that we move into hunting for ourselves, basically, I won't guide, but I uh, may go to Texas for, for one guy that's a, a really good friend and client, um, and that's it for guiding, uh, the, for rest guiding the rest of the year. I don't do anything here in Kansas. We just hunt. Sometimes folks reach out. If you are in the area, definitely reach out to us. If we've got availability, I'll go run dogs with you. I mean, it's it's fun. It's part of what we do and part of what we live for, but... When I do it here, I'll put a seasoned dog or um, a seasoned dog and a green dog or a couple green dogs and a seasoned dog, and then I just let them go. And it's a little different hunting for yourself than, you know, hunting yes. for clients that are paying for this experience. So um, you definitely don't want those young dogs out there screwing stuff up for their hunt, but they also need to learn, um, and it is really good learning experience for them. And I was going to mention, too, so we go into this hunting season – I'll take a little more coffee too. Um, so we go into these hunting seasons with these young dogs and they kind of have a variety of beginning experience level, if you will. So for example, sorry, tricks, she went this year. Um, she turned a year while she was up there. She didn't go last year because she literally was born I, October 28th. So I posted a thing for her birthday while I was up there, didn't I? I posted a thing. For well, well, you remembered, yes. Yes. But anyway, so she, you know, was born the end of October last year. She wasn't up in South Dakota guiding. Nah. So mm-hmm. she is one of the older, very green puppies, if you think about it, because she's a year old up oh, there, but she'd never yeah. hunted on wild birds yet, um, wild pheasants. So she learned a ton while she was up there. Then you have Thunder, who. This was actually his second season up there because his first season, he was a very young puppy, but he... You want to talk about night and day difference between a dog that spent its a full season up there and then comes up for its second full season? It is Even as ridiculous. a young dog, they act like ridiculous. a seasoned dog. Oh my goodness. Thunder. I, I can't say enough good things about Thunder. I will say that there's no such thing as a perfect dog, folks, okay? And... Every dog could have different things. We get, I digress a little bit here, but um, he's small, which isn't a bad thing. Some of our dogs are getting a little bit on the bigger side. It's always a fluctuation of, you know, okay, now we're getting a little too big. Now we got to get a little smaller. Now we got a little too much of this, a little too much of that. So it's always a balance act, but under is the real deal. <laughs> um, he was really, really fun to hunt over this year. Yeah, and it was his second season as a young dog, so that's awesome to see. And then we have um, Puppy Shock, shall we say. Oh, my goodness, yes. She basically went to South Dakota as blank of a slate as you can get. Um, You guys follow along with her, you know, training series and stuff on YouTube. And we do have a video on our YouTube channel, like um, hunting prerequisites, the three things that we recommend that you're dog needs to know prior to going hunting, which is a solid recall, 
a bird introduction and a gunfire introduction. If they've got those three things, you can take them with and they can gain a ton of experience, start figuring stuff out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and if you can get an opportunity to teach them to point prior to going or formal woe training, that would be really freaking nice, but it's not necessary. I'm trying to find her. <coughs> now I got a tickle. Tickle, tickle. I'm trying to find, do we have... Shocks videos in a playlist? Yeah, it's probably like um It's not on the poppy section. I'm finding here. <coughs> I don't know. I don't think so. We haven't even put them in a playlist. We're horrible people. All right, let okay, me so Yeah, here it is. It's right at the freaking top. I'm an idiot. I just swiped right I was past pretty it. sure that we had one. We did all of our place training. That's why it was in there. So we, we didn't did. even do a gunfire introduction. <laughs> I thought so. So, okay. Pretty much. How horrible of dog people are we? So, basically, when we are raising puppies, we try and shoot a video of I'll, everything that we're doing with them. I'll touch on this, too, a little bit. So And so, when we're raising puppies, and we're doing these video series for you guys, it's like, okay, well, this is what we're working on. This is what the dog needs next. Let's video it. Let's put it out there. So it was one of those things. It's like, well, if it's not in a video, it probably didn't happen. I don't think we did. So we broke our own rule. Um, However, I didn't even meet the prerequisites with my own dog. No. So she had a solid recall before going to South Dakota. Yeah. And I wouldn't even have called it solid. I solidified it while we were up there. Yeah. So, but... We do know her breeding, obviously, um, as well as she is a very bold, confident puppy um, and the right situations. She did fine, obviously. And she actually, while she was up there, which is really cool because she literally had one of the prerequisites, um, had never been pointing birds. She'd had some free runs with the other dogs and stuff up and down the driveway, basically. So she had kind of an idea of how to get out and cover ground, but that was it. And... She, you said, pointed her first bird up there after the second half, um, or in the second half of while you were up there. It, it was, was after I came back from. It was. It was after you were up there. Yeah. So yep. it was. Um, I know it was with the Alabama boys group, and that was the group after me. Yep. So, and it was in a shelter belt, and I watched her lock up on point, and I was like, "Come on now!" And then a bird flew out ahead, and she got distracted by that, and. Took off chasing it and then came back and poof, locked up on the same point again. I'm like, come on now. And then there came a rooster and they missed it. But it is what and it is. Prior to that first pointing opportunity, it wasn't like she was on the ground causing issues. She wasn't. No, she made several retrieves. Yep. Yep. Lots of retrieving drives. She reminds me so much of Muddy. Muddy. Um, that's what Muddy did her first season up there was she retrieved and tracked the heck out of wounded birds and then finally pointed like the last week that you were up there. Yeah. Um, she, she took the entire 30 freaking days to, <laughs> to figure start out pointing, point yeah. but that was also a situation with a puppy that had never had the pointing opportunity. She just had the other prerequisites that we actually accomplished before taking her up there. Um, but anyway, so Puppy Shock learned a lot. Uh, Puppy Shock also learned a lot about porcupines. porcupines. Oh my goodness, folks! She I didn't is get a too good much ad- like her mother, Muddy. 
Yes. So Muddy was the first dog that we actually, I ever actually had get into a porcupine. Yes. So poor, poor puppy shock went on point after she'd figured out how to point stuff. Right. And this time it just happened to be on a porcupine. Ethan's going to pull something up and see if you can, I don't know if you'll be able to show it on the camera. It always seems like it gets blurry or whatever. So puppy shock goes on point. Ethan goes, well, that's not a bird. Let's get out of here. She got a little hit on her nose, on her face. Not that many quills, kind of like what Muddy got. And then what did she do when Ethan called her away? She decided to run over it. And when she ran over the porcupine, it did this like, and got her all under the tummy, inside her legs, all down her legs. like 400 quills. It was so many quills. And they did have to remove the quills in the field. So people give us static all the time. Like, why didn't you go to the vet with that dog? Why didn't you, you know, get them anesthesia? Well, the thing is, the time that it would take to get her loaded up, get to a vet, and get her in a crate and stuff to get her there, she's going to break off so many of those quills that are going to cause infections and foreign body issues and things like that because they're going to keep migrating. It is honestly better to get as long as, you know, especially most of them were in her legs and her tummy, all in her mouth, eyes, nose, you know, that she needed veterinary care. Obviously, we're going to go take her to the vet. We love our dogs. We care for them. Um, But we, in this situation, had to do... Um, what was right for her in that situation, which was take care of it in the field. Oh, yeah. So it was a little be- bit more painful. We'll put together a video. Um, there's about a little over half of it. I got videoed, so we'll be able to show. Do some B-roll of the process and talk about it a little bit. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's got a face detect on ginger goat. So. Uh, see, as long as you can see my dang face, that's what it's trying to pull. Just Real close stinking. and pull out slow. That's what she said, huh? All right, so some fun things with that. All of that being said is uh, birds make a bird dog, okay? Now, we had some really cool experiences. Um, I want to hear, Kat, you got to hunt for three days up there. What was What was the coolest part for you? Well, I don't want to, like, steal your story of glory, but I want to talk about my sure. puppy tricks. No, 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 steal, your sto- steal the story. It's, so, tricks. It's better to listen to you talk about how cool I am. <laughs> okay. I was going to talk about how cool the dogs are, uh, but, yeah, you know. that's the truth. Um, so, tricks. I love my questy pup, guys, and tricks is her mother's daughter, for sure. She's so sweet. Um, this was, like I said, her first season up in... South Dakota, figuring out the wild bird thing. And now she had a lot more of the prerequisites and, you know, the opportunities to figure things out. Oh, um, yeah. She's, I mean, primarily, quote unquote, fully trained minus wild bird yeah, experience. exactly. So, so she's um, a lot more like a dog leaving our program and is ready to go hunting. And so she was up there and she is, Fidgety. first of all, she, too much coffee, honey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She basically is super stylish on point. Um, She backs like a fiend. Um, Mm -hmm. And so she is locked up on point. Beautiful on point. Rooster gets up, flies, and I don't know. It was probably like a 60-yard shot at least. Uh, I wouldn't call it 60. It was a really long shot. 
And Ethan, the guy with the pink gun, dead eyes that thing, and it dies. Drops dead in the shelter. Oh. Drops dead in the shelter belt. And uh, we're gonna get that pheasant mounted. We don't have a single pheasant mount. Yeah, that was that was part of my story. Okay, so oh, sorry. We no 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 no. We've I've shot quite a few different species and had the opportunity to take them to a taxidermist. Some of them um, haven't worked out. I've taken I've used a couple in the past of like oh I'm a taxidermist and I send things home with a person and then it's like three years later it's like did you finish that oh uh, what what are you talking about I don't, I don't remember taking that bird home like oh God dang it so of all of the birds that we've hunted I've probably killed more pheasants than any other species and don't have a single one mounted there's been several opportunities but I'm like maybe I should and, and back in the day there was that one bird in North Dakota you remember that maybe not it had the stupid long tail feathers and we talked about it, talked about it. it was Charles and, uh, Charles and, and Annie were up, up there, there hunting with us. Okay. Yeah. And we looked at it and was like, oh, we should get this bird mounted. It's so cool. I'm like, oh, yeah, but I don't have any money at all. How much does it cost to mount a bird? Well, at that point in time, it's probably like 185 bucks. And it was like, well, that's $185 more than what I've got right now. So yeah. guess what? Cutting off the legs, ripping out the breast, pull of the tail feathers, da-da-da-da, we're done. Mm-hmm. Yep. So- I've got a few grouse mounted, a few others, whatever now. And and this was on Quest, uh, not Quest, sorry. Technically, Trix's Trix first pointed bird. And, and it was her birthday. And it was her birthday. It was, it was, like, birthday all, it was like the trifecta of all the really awesome things that could have happened in that situation. And, and if you don't know, so then people are like, well, did she retrieve it, right? Well, actually, no. Adam retrieved it out of the shelter belt. Nice job, Adam. (laughs) Yep, it dropped right there. He went and grabbed it, and honestly, those are the birds that are going to make the best Anytime a dog puts their mouth on a bird, it's got a a big chance of getting screwed up. Yeah, feathers getting ruffled out and all that stuff. So, no, she did not retrieve that. She has retrieved many other pheasants um, and roosters for us, but... Uh, all the other things in that situation were really, really cool. So that was really fun. Um, and then I have a fun little story about thunder. <laughs> Charles is on here. He said, yeah, it was a kick bird too. Yeah. <laughs> Long tail. I don't know what that was. It was, I mean, it, it feels ridiculous to say almost 30 inches, but I believe it was in the 30 range. Tail feathers. Now I will say hundred percent North Dakota birds have longer tail feathers than South Dakota birds. There are some different subspecies in there. I've seen some hella hooks, uh, you know, spurs. But on average, I would say most South Dakota birds have the shortest tails and shortest spurs of any of the birds. And maybe it's just due to the larger volume of them that get shot. So there's a bigger turnover. But, um, or different subspecies of pheasant. But um, I've, I've killed the longest spurs on Kansas birds. And the longest tail on North Dakota birds. And those are the only three states. I don't know if I've, I don't think I've ever killed a Nebraska pheasant. So I don't have, I might have to fix that. But, but of the three states that I've hunted, uh, Iowa, Iowa, I've hunted Iowa. I was going to say, I don't know where Iowa qualifies in that. I, I'm probably about the same as South Dakota. And the bird numbers in Iowa are coming up. I, psh, they're saying, don't tell our secret. But bird numbers in Iowa are pretty dang good this year, I've heard. And you're able to kick up a few coveys quail. Um, certain parts of Kansas getting pretty good. So other parts of Kansas not so good. But 
So all in all, though, it was really awesome hunting experience for the young puppies. They learned a lot, and I'm excited to see what they're going to do next season. Um, now that Puppy Shock has had her bird and gunfire introduction in South Dakota. <laughs> yes. That's because they're all young. Well, I believe that, and we've shot some older birds in South Dakota, but even the older birds that have good spurs on them, the tail feathers just, I feel like, are longer in other states. So I don't I don't really know if, I, I don't measure them all, so I don't have a complete, you know, study or science on that. Now, here's another fun story. This is kind of a tooting my own horn, all right? But it was still funny. In several places, the the sharp-tailed grouse and prairie chickens are categorized as grouse in the state of South Dakota. There were quite a few places this year that we saw grouse on a regular basis, pheasant hunting, which has not happened in years past. There was a boom number of grouse this year, and after the first group, I was like, all right, this is an area that we might run into grouse. Because right? you did in the first group. Yeah, or in one of the other groups. So it's one of those, like, just be ready. And they're like, what do they look like? I'm like, well, they kind of look like a hen pheasant, but they fly different and they look a little different. And their tails and are like, not uh, as pointy. Okay, so we're just going to wait for you to yell grouse, I guess. And we'll hope that we picked out the right bird that was in the air when you yell grouse. Well, in... There was there was a couple. I got to carry a gun maybe. Well, in our group you did. Well, we yeah, but. You didn't shoot any grouse. It was the day that I shot my my hat, South Dakota hat trick. But earlier in the day, there was, um, I, I walked up and this group of birds got up and I was like, oh, grouse. I pull up, knock one down. And I look over and there's a guy literally like 10 yards directly or 15 yards maybe directly to my right. And another guy directly to my left. And the birds got up more in front of the guy to my right. And I was like, why didn't you shoot? And he's like, well, it was it was too far. <laughs> I'm like, I knocked one down and I'm shooting a 20 gauge. So it obviously wasn't too far. You got to throw some lead. I don't like crippling birds, but grouse take less to knock out of the air than a pheasant does. Pheasants are a little hardier and grouse seem to like one pellet and they'll fall down. So it was kind of a fun thing. I had a few of those situations where my shooting skills did shine through this year. And then there were some other situations where it was like, um, oh, shoot. There's a, if you go back and find one of the pheasant hunting videos, it was like the worst shooting that I have ever done in my entire life. It's like literally three minutes of me bleeped out from saying F-bombs every time I miss Another bird, and then miss and miss and miss. I'm like, what is wrong with me today? I don't know, but. Oh, um, Blair said, I was sure I saw a video of Shock's gun intro. I think Jess was helping you that day, doing the shooting. Mm. Maybe. So, because I kind of thought we did, but then I can't find the video of it. So, it was like, well, if we didn't shoot a video, it didn't happen. So, look through the just, list just here. search. Use it as a search engine, as YouTube is supposed to be used. Standing Stone, gunfire intro. We'll find out. Blair, we're going to find out if you're right. So that's that thunder thunders. without birds. And then there's this dog that looks really sad. We did! Because I remember making that thumbnail. Yikes! Remember? Oh, uh, yeah. Let's what? add that video Let's to... Let's put that to the playlist. Save to oh, playlist. Whew. We didn't screw up. We didn't... Ruin our uh, own rule. It's in the it's thunder in playlist. The thunder. <laughs> Whoops. Put it in the shock one. Because it's definitely not thunder. Okay. Okay. 
Hey, Done. you get a special star award, Blair, for remembering that. Well, good. At least we did a gunfire introduction before we went up there. I was going to talk <laughs> about gunfire like, introductions. Terrible. We're terrible. Don't listen Shock. to Shock. Four months old. Here we are to do a gunfire introduction. Cool. Yes, we did. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you, uh, loyal fans and viewers. Um, I was going to talk about gunfire introductions, though. It's really not a big deal for the average dog that's mentally stable. And I say that as... as cautiously and and nicely as possible because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings that have run into issues with this but dogs that are situations can happen bad situations can happen but even in those bad situations mentally stable dogs typically shine through uh they come out on the plus side of that with little to no effects of the actual situation and that's just you know I I can say we've literally never produced a gun-shy dog. We had one dog that was rated gun-sensitive, and they came to us, and it took like a day. We had the dog for a week, and there, there by the end of the week, there was no sensitivity issues. I mean, it was, it was absolutely zero sensitivity issues. So I think it's one of those things that... Um, Dogs are predisposed and then probably not developed properly through things. You know, you try and apply, by by you, I mean everyone who owns dogs, try and apply human emotions and situations to it and the way to care for them. So you think about a dog that has maybe a slightly apprehensive um, reaction to something and you feel like, oh, I should comfort them. Oh, it's okay, buddy. You know, it's it's, uh, one of those things that it's, it's... it's, uh, it's all right. I don't, don't feel sad or whatever. Right. So that when you think about in essence, what you're doing, we utilize, uh, touch or praise or pets or love, all of those things, sweet talking to dogs. We use those as a form of positive reinforcement. So if in the situation that they're being apprehensive to something, we are positively reinforcing that behavior saying, Oh buddy, it's okay good dog. Basically, you're a good dog. And then the dog goes, okay, well, this is okay behavior. And then it compounds the problem because reinforcement-based training, especially when it's the dog's idea, grows exponentially. All right. So you do it once, then they're apprehensive again. You do it again, then they're apprehensive again. And by the third rep, you've pretty much solidified that this is a behavior that's going to take a lot to reverse. Now, the same thing is you know, and so people say, well, what do we do in that situation? You act as if nothing is happening, that they weren't, in fact, apprehensive to something. Redirect focus to something else and say, hey, look at this. I've got a thing to pull your attention. Puppy, puppy, puppy. All right, let's go over here. Cool. Now you're normal again. So stop being, stop being cowardice of it. But you have to get on top of those things quickly. You can't just let it go forever and ever and ever. So So any other little tidbits or stories that you want to talk about from South Dakota? Or are we about wrapped up with our puppy hunting stories? Um, I mean, I think that's a majority of the puppy hunting stories. The, the dogs as a whole did a really good job. It was uh, exciting to see the individual personalities, which is ultimately going to allow us that all of the dogs that I had up there right now are the future of our breeding program. So I got to see 
you know, where their strengths are, where their potential weaknesses were, and who we're going to be able to utilize down the road, potentially, you know, or who we're going to have to try and look for to utilize down the road for breedings to say what the best um, cross or transition is going to be, not transition, but cross with them to make, you know, to strengthen both of them, you know, where the, you know what I'm saying, rambling. But, um, we were able to evaluate the dogs that we hope will be part of our well. breeding program. Mm-hmm. What, what I said. Bingo. Okay. So let's answer some questions. Scroll back up. We'll see if there's any super chats. I thought I saw something. There was one super chat it was Paige, Paige Carter and, it, and then she posted down here. I think it just said, yeah, I just want to say thank you again for helping me determine GSP isn't for me. My Moen poodle. Harlow has been a dream. You're welcome. And I think that we talked about that on somewhere. I get, So I apologize. We get messages on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, on Patreon, through emails, through text messages and phone calls. So sometimes I truly forget where I saw the message, but I believe you had mentioned that before. And agreed. Short hairs are not for everyone. And I appreciate and respect people that can make that decision that the short hair wouldn't be a good fit for them or their lifestyle because it's not going to be fair to the dog and it's not going to be an enjoyable life for you um, over the next 10 to 15 years that you have them that um, they're going to drive you crazy because they have a lot of energy. So that is, I'm, I'm happy that we could help you do that, make that decision. Here's a good question. This one I think is uh, is very important. It comes up a lot, and it's probably mishandled uh, by a lot of people. Go ahead and read this one here. Dan Klein said, "GSP points robins and yard birds. Plant a pheasant though, and she busts them and chases. I quit planting birds to stop that bad habit. Tips for training or stopping her from busting birds." So that is something that um, is honestly pretty typical of, especially dogs that might live in town. Uh, Those dogs become very visually oriented. They're pointing squirrels. They're pointing backyard birds. They're pointing butterflies, leaves that move. Anything that they can see and point, um, they're, they're doing a great job visually. Now, what you're doing when you're planting a pheasant is that dog's got to use their nose and they've got to put the pieces together of scent acknowledgement also means I should be pointing something. We can utilize electronic bird launchers to help them understand that timing is really important with those, that when they smell something, that bird's going to pop and they need to be more cautious and more careful next time. Then the next time that they encounter that scent, they cross that scent cone, you see that scent acknowledgement, pop that bird again. Then they're going to go, okay, I need to be a lot more cautious so that I don't bump these birds because bumping birds doesn't get me what I want. So then the next time you see that scent acknowledgement across that scent cone, you can actually hold that launch a couple seconds and see their reaction. If they're being cautious and holding that point, again, it's important. Timing is really important. Reading your dog and their body language and reaction is important because you want to be launching that bird prior to the dog moving to bust in. So it's it's a balance. It's a game of how long, and you want to do it in small increments. It's not like, oh, the first time I'm going to expect my puppy to point, I want him to stand there for 30 seconds. That's unrealistic. And you may luck out and get a puppy that does that, especially a puppy that has really strong pointing instincts. But if you've got a puppy like yours that's already busting, 
you know, you're going to want to launch on a, a couple seconds after you have shown them that they've been overpressuring birds by that launch as soon as they're scent acknowledgement happening. Absolutely. Um, the timing being key. Timing being key, exactly as Kat explained there. Had a few people that said loved watching the lives while we were up in South Dakota. I'm glad you got to enjoy that. Um, it's fun to do it when I can. Sometimes it's weather, cold, whatever. I can't run the stuff. But with somebody else mentioned here, uh, feel free to take Susie Q, who's in for training right now, to South Dakota if she's ready. This is something that we are considering offering for next year for a select few number of dogs. Would be at a slightly different rate, um, but the experience is unmatched by anywhere. You know, like I've talked about, one week made an insane difference because we, I mean, in 30 days, and I will say we were down this year, but in 30 days we harvested 300 roosters, okay? And last year it was double that. Yeah, almost double that. Now, we didn't see less birds. It wasn't down that much. That's a misrepresentation of the population, in my opinion. That was a good... uh, rhyme misrepresentation of the population but um we saw an insane number of hens insane we'd walk a a grass field shelter belt whatever it was food plot and it would just be hen after hen after hen after hen after hen but the dogs are still working those correct the same as a rooster so that was really good so be looking for that i'll I'll make an announcement uh again our newsletter is a great place to do a lot of these announcement type things so if you aren't signed up on our newsletter already i would do that as well as um 99 sure we will provide first opportunity to patrons to send a dog up with us and and previous training clients because they do need the prerequisites that have to have been through our program first before they can come up here so yeah can you say hi, Carter? Hi, Carter. Say hi to my dog named Maze. Hey, Maze. Hey, Jessica. I saw some questions rolling in toward the end here. So, Doug Jensen has a three and a half month old. What can you do with her now? Um, I would say run on over to our YouTube playlists. And we have, oh my gosh, I don't even know how many playlists now with puppy training basics, um, with different puppies from Quest to Rogue to Shock to Thunder to Tricks, that you can actually see the process that we did with our puppies starting from eight weeks to almost a year old. Um, some of those other playlists um, that include like Thunder and Shock fill in some of the gaps there. So, um, I would watch some of those videos and then if you still need some extra help or direction with your puppy, reaching out to us on Patreon is a great place for that because we can give you direct feedback on what your puppy's doing, what they're doing right, what they might be doing not so right, and where to go from there. Yeah, that's huge. We handed out it a little bit earlier, but on YouTube, you can actually search um, Standing Stone Kennels and then any of the tops that you're looking for or... Um, we have the playlist where the videos are in order. A lot of people don't know that the playlist exists. So look for our channel, go to the playlist, then you can find step-by-step, which is eight weeks to 12 months. Um, there's a few gaps in there depending on the dog in the series, but watching multiple series, usually you fill in that. So I uh, loved seeing the guided hunts. Never hunted with that many people on Flatland before. It's definitely interesting. It's a big country. It's different. Uh, having the extra people makes a big difference with being able to cover ground and be more effective at being able to actually kill some birds. Otherwise, you do a lot of bird watching, not a lot of bird killing. This is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. I thought that? so. Yeah. So okay. Chris McPherson said, 
Any advice for switching my first year lab from waterfall to upland and vice versa? We hunt ducks one day and quail chucker the next. So definitely having training experience for both so that they truly understand what their purpose is for each of those skills. Um, so if you're doing duck hunts out of a blind or something like that, you're going to need to train how to make retrieves out of a blind, how to kennel up in a blind, how to do some steadiness drills. And then with the, you know, upland side of things with your lab, I'm making an assumption here that they are not a pointing lab, but they are a flushing lab. And so you need to teach them, you know, how to flush birds, how to mark birds, how to make those retrieves, um, in the upland field as well. And, um, once they have those two, I guess, disciplines trained and understood, you just need to take them for both, um, giving them some time to gain some experience on both and then being able to mix it up for them, I think will add less confusion, um, for them, but truly if they have the understanding from training, you're going to be able to handle them through both of those. Uh, we've got Captain, is that right? Captain Hiltz? Hiltz, yep. Hiltz, aha. It says, are you a proponent of solo hunting a first season dog with one to two guns if possible? That is an absolutely fantastic question. And the answer to that is no. But there's a caveat, okay? Every dog, every situation is going to be different. I don't believe in solo hunting a majority of young dogs because they learn an insane amount from older dogs that are doing a good job. An older dog that's a turd is not going to help the situation at all. It's only going to teach bad things, but quality, experienced older dogs will help to a certain extent. If you see that the young dog is not getting any experience on its own, it's never getting a retrieve, the old dog's beating them to it, knocking them down, whatever, or the young dog is never getting an opportunity to point birds, then you need to solo hunt them. But my go-to would be put them on the ground with a quality, seasoned, experienced dog to begin with. Now, minimizing guns, I do believe, is beneficial, minus the fact that it also minimizes exposure. Your if limits. You only, yes. Uh, if you've got one to two guns, you can shoot, depending on where you're at, three to six birds, roughly, right? Um, if you've got... 10 guns, then we're talking about the potential of 30 birds, which is drastically more, right? 10 times, okay? So it's uh, when you can have more guns and it can be a more controlled environment, and then you have the opportunity to watch the young dog, are they learning or are they constantly getting beat? Once you see that, all right, so it doesn't seem like they're getting, they're able to hold their own. Uh, then pull them out, run them individually in, in areas that you go, okay, this I feel like is a better area for me to run this puppy. Um, but mixing it up, having a good balance in your training is huge. And having time for him to spend with the seasoned dog, having time to spend individually is going to be the ticket. So we've got a couple questions um, from Ginger Goat Hot Sauce and Sarah Lucas that kind of tie together. And I think this is a really good thing to talk about. Um, so when you say small, how much does he weigh? He looks like a tank. We're talking about thunder. Yep. And then Sarah was saying, uh, Yawa, I find it interesting how highly you speak of thunder. How does he compare to the OG boy Vex? So those are great questions. Um, so thunder is a little bit smaller than Vex right now. I'd say he is, he's got some muscling out to do yet. I mean, he, sure, absolutely. he has some maturing that way to do. Um, right now, he's pretty small and little because he came back from South Dakota, a tish trim. Little trim. Um, Worked those, hard. 
dogs work really hard up there. It's not going to take long for him to put a little bit of weight back on, but um, I would say he weighs probably 53 pounds right now. Yeah, mid to low 50s. I, I, low 50s, yeah. probably, yeah. Um, and he may hit about where Vex is at, at about 60 pounds, fully muscled out. I doubt it. it. Upper 50s. Uh, probably 55-pound male. Yeah. Yep, yep, so, yep. a little small, um, which is honestly kind of surprising because he's out of Muddy. And Muddy's a bigger female for she us. You know, she's a 55-pound female. Um, then let's talk about what we like about Thunder and how he compares to Vex. So, um, there's a couple things. And it's easy to say there's, there's two parts to this, really. Okay, so we can improve our genetics as we go along. And if we're not, we're not moving in the right direction. But we can also improve our training program. Okay, so we get better as we go. And I feel like um, the dogs of today get a lot better shake than the original dogs that we had because we've grown as trainers and our and our program has grown a ton, folks, a ton. And um, the things that I really love about Thunder is he's always willing to work. He has a good desire to please and he's happy to do it. Um, there are some dogs that really struggle with that. They're they're more independent. They're more interested in what is on their mind, not the task at hand. If we give something to Thunder, he's like, all right, cool, and runs with it. If we ask him to do something, like go over there and hunt, he's like, all right, cool, I'm going to go over there and hunt. So he, he's got a really good balance of um, desire to work, um, cooperation, and ability to still have independence when it's necessary. Now, the next side of it is he loves to learn, which is slightly different than desire to work, okay? Desire to work being a category of does he quit? No. Does he continue working hard until, you know, within reason? Yes. Um, but wanting to learn, totally different ballgame. When we start throwing new things at dogs, some dogs resent that. They're like, meh. Or it overwhelms them. Yes. And Mentally overwhelms them. You get to a point where it's like, you don't really want to do this. Or I can't, I'm, you know, I've hit my threshold of what we can probably teach this dog because mentally ceilings, all dogs have ceilings. They're there and we haven't found his ceiling yet. No. So we did his woe training in one session. Usually that takes three to four days and it was a long session. It was like a 30 30 minute minute video. video. Yeah. But I taught him all of the steps that it would normally take me four individual sessions to not overwhelm a dog. I taught them all to him in one training session. We kept going, well, we'll just stop the video when he's done, when his threshold for this training session has been met. And we didn't hit it. it. Um, When we've done some of these retrieving drills that we do with a retriever, like a lab, um, labs and short hairs are very much different. Totally different. Um, But having had the experience and learned a lot from Bob on some of these awesome drills that we can do with clutch... Um, we were like, well, hey, we got a short hair puppy that's about the same, same age. age yeah. Why not? Let's do it, right? Because he loves to retrieve. Like Thunder is a retrieving monster and he ate up those drills. He mm-hmm. lived to do those drills and... He's a monster in the water. Yep. He, um, when we're doing retrieving based work, he completely flips a switch. He will come, he'll sit down next to your side He's already steady, which is not something that I ask. It's just come naturally to him. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's just come naturally to him. And 
he can do it. He can look at, okay, this is a retrieving drill. He'll come and sit by you and watch. Marks, yep, got it, got it. Send him. He tears out there. He works hard for it. He hunts till he finds them, picks them up, brings them back, does all of those things and ready to go for the next one. And then you take him out to the field and he points and he backs, which those are two things that don't typically go hand in hand with a dog that has as much retrieving desire as he has. If you look at a versatile dog, it has a, a kind of teetering scale, basically. Um, straight up and down being the perfect the perfect versatile dog balance between retriever and pointer. Then you have dogs that shade more pointing direction or more retrieving direction still in the versatile world. I personally try and shade our dogs more pointing directed because we primarily are looking for bird dogs. We do have versatile dogs as much as is possible, but our primary focus is upland hunters. Upland hunting. Yep. So that's the direction that our program has gone. And then we look for dogs that have good temperaments. Now, Uh, that's what I want to talk about with Thunder. So you tie all of these things together. I'm talking about as much drive as you could ever want out of a dog retrieving a dog that will hunt all day. When you send him off the line or if you send him out to go hunt, he's a little bit vocal. He's like, here we go. He's excited excited. about it. Just super excited. Which is money. Yeah, he gets that from his mother. And he hunts and hunts and hunts and does all of his stuff. And he's always willing to go again. He's just this dog that you would go, there's absolutely no way that we can live with this dog because he's insane. I mean, he just has so much drive and so much desire to work and learn and train and think and busy all the time. Except for when you bring him in the house, he just completely shuts it off. And we've had dogs that are close, but I've never had a dog that is... As drastic, you know, as drastic a change. We have dogs that are on the slightly lower end of the spectrum, right? They're lower key, lower desire, and not in a bad way, just lower, okay? And they come in and they're great house family companions. And we've had some dogs that are on the higher end of the spectrum, and they also turn it off, but not quite as off as these other dogs. And then you have Thunder, who is like peaked out at the top, peaked out at the bottom. And the other thing about that is, you know, with Vex, you're like asking for some comparisons and it is hard to necessarily 100% compare apples to apples because we are in a different place in our lives, like Ethan mentioned, and in our our program from a training standpoint, but also in a family standpoint. Um, We have children now, right? We didn't have those when uh, Vex was a puppy. And the respect that Thunder had for our little boy, Aiden, when he was a baby and not running him over, not knocking him down was- When both of them were babies, basically. Yes, because Thunder, you know, you look at when Thunder was a puppy, little, you know, four or five month old puppy running around, Aiden was- maybe 16 months old. So he was walking, but not great running around yet, you know, still losing his balance and pretty teetery tottery. And, um, thunder didn't knock him over, didn't run him over and loved to play with him and was very sweet with him and nothing against clutch at all. But he was like a bull in a China shop. He's like, I'm going to knock your little kid over. Bam. (laughs) face plant Aiden. And so it's just a temperament thing. Very respectful of the little boy, um, that he loved to play with, but was gentle with. And then also he is so freaking friendly. 
He's like his mama Mud. Uh, Muddy doesn't know a stranger as far as people goes and other dogs. And She's dogs, yeah. so sweet with other dogs. Um, and from an intact male standpoint, you know, that's something that's really important to me. I don't want males that are starting stuff in the, you know, field, hunting field, around the truck, at the chain gang. I want a dog that can get along with other females, other males, the whole shebang, and he can. That's a temperament thing that um, can't be overlooked. So if he had all of the great things that Ethan was talking about and not the temperament, it still is kind of a no-go thing for us. You know, we want the best of both worlds. So I hope that kind of answered your question. All right, so this is the probably the last question comment that we've got. Um, Jared's. Yep, so it's Jared, and then there's a response in here, and I want to talk about it because it's very valid. And this is something that came up multiple times this year. I see it every single year, see it all the time, and I understand it, but at the same time, it's still wrong, okay? So Jared Shield said, I have a one-year-old GSP. For the first hour, he's almost uncontrollable, running off, busting birds, etc. Once he slows down, he's great. What can I do to slow him down that first hour? And then you want me to read that response that you've got highlighted there? Um, or what did you want me to do? I don't know. I guess if that was indirect. I don't know if that was indirect response to that or not. I don't think so. This is also valid, though, so it's part of it. We're talking about the dog that runs like a wild banshee, okay? Anything that the dog is doing, they're conditioning themselves to. So, though it is difficult, especially with a young dog full of vinegar, uh, vinegar vigor, and... Um, I thought you were going to say piss and vinegar, but... Full of vigor. piss and vigor. Um, <laughs> take it how you will. The... Uh, the dogs are conditioning whatever behavior you're allowing, okay? there. This goes into, and I typed this up for a guy the other day. It, it's, you know, it fits. I don't know if anybody's ever heard the story about the two bulls standing on the hill. There was the old bull and the young bull. And the young bull says to the old bull, look at all them cows down there. We should run down there and... Breed them. Breed them, okay? We'll clean this up a little bit. And uh, the old bull goes, nah. Let's just, we should run down there and breed one of them or whatever, you know. And the old bull goes, nah, let's walk down there and breed them all. You know, so it's a difference of young dogs not really knowing what's going on yet. So there is a lot of misguided um, running amok. Yep. And this is where uh, me not carrying a gun on a regular basis with our young dogs because I'm guiding in that beginning stage, you need to... um, you need to handle them. Like so, we were talking about in the beginning. Yep. We keep you where I want you. And granted, a dog that's bred to be where you want it to be is going to do better. But still, young dogs are full of piss and vinegar and they try and run bigger than they need to for that first hour or whatever. But if you spend that first hour handling and then they settle in, then you're conditioning, this even though you're going to be running faster, this is where we need you to be. As well as if you can handle them and you're conditioning that type of behavior, your dog's not going to burn themselves out in that first hour either. Yeah. Um, they're going to have a little more stamina to and endurance to be able to hunt longer because they didn't wear themselves out running willy-nilly for that first hour. 
Then we had a, a response into that. It says, Jared, run them a bit at home first. Again, conditioning, whatever. I mean, it's not something that you should need. It's, it's an old bird dog thing, okay? Oh, yeah, we should dump them in the ditch and we drive them the last two miles to where we're going to go hunt so they behave. This is old school mentality and it's not 100% right or beneficial and maybe it did work at that point in time. But or the way that the dogs specifically were bred. I mean, you look at, you know, yep. we specifically are breeding foot hunting, hunting dogs, you know, dogs that were going to hunt all day on foot, yes. not big field trial running dogs that are going to run. And un- unfortunately, a, a lot of folks get sold dogs that aren't 100 percent right for them. And it's part of it. OK, you've got the dog now you're trying to do right by it. I get it. But. Um, you can condition the behavior that you're looking for if you put the time in. Anything they're doing, they're conditioning themselves for. So you have to think about, is this something I want to do for the rest of the dog's life? No, then you need to change it. And if you have questions about that, definitely reach out to us at Patreon, patreon.com slash standing stone kennels. We're there to answer questions, okay? Now, Charles had made a comment in here that was in regards to a dog needing a break, unless you super condition, okay? When we go hunting, we hunt most of a day. That may be four, five, six, seven, eight hours, depending on where we're at and what we're doing, that we're on the ground actively running dogs. If you haven't been running four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day with your dog for weeks leading up to this, your dog is not prepared for that. And by day two or three, they're going to be into a point of fatigue that is going to lead to a much greater chance of injury. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Just imagine... And, and, and it's no different with us, right? You guys all remember when you started two-a-days to get ready for sports in oh, it's high horrible. school? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. You're doing nothing all summer long. And then you get to two-a-days and you're dying and you're so sore and you're like, I can't even bend over to tie my tennis shoes. Well, it's even the, the folks that I end up guiding, you know, I love them all to death, but a lot of them are not in shape enough prepared for the situation. And you end up with sore feet blisters, um, cramps. That's the number one thing that people have because they get a little dehydrated because they're drinking in the evenings and whatever else. And then they're dehydrated coming into hunting. Their muscles are overworked. And cramping up. And cramping up really bad in the middle of the night. The other side of it, people pull muscles or hamstrings or your hip flexors get worn out because they're not used to pulling through through stuff and, and whatever. And those are all things that your dog is also experiencing. So, um, I see on a regular basis, and I mentioned this at the beginning, like, all right, people bring their dogs up. They want to watch their dogs run because they only get to be there three days and whatever else. Your dog still needs a break. Put them down for a field, pick them up, put them down for the next field, um, skipping a field in between there. So they get, you know, down for an hour, off for an hour, down for an hour. They're going to hold up a lot better over the course of three days. They're going to be better off all the way around. And not just from a muscle standpoint and recovery standpoint, but also the, well, and the pads of their feet, Mm -hmm. um, their coats, depending on your dog's coats, they can get really beat up in some of this really tough thick cover. You know, if you wear a chest protector on them, great. Um, you know, something that's breathable, but also like around their eyes, um, can get really tore up and really scabby. Um, we've had some questions. What do you do for, you know, male dogs, um, paraphernalia they get chapped and rough and raw and bleeding and cracked and absolutely that's just when you overhunt them and I don't want to say overhunt them but when they hunt in those type of conditions that's the outcome it's like you getting blisters on your heels 
from uh, overworking your feet. 100%. Well, folks, I think that's all we have time for. Absolutely loved getting to uh, chat with you guys this evening. Sorry for the, the voice thing. It's Hopefully uh, by next week he'll be, it'll be 100%. Perfect. And I won't be the one like that. Oh, come on now. You got the immune system of a healthy person. Thanks. I don't know. You're, you're great. It's all yeah. great. We love y'all. Uh, we're looking forward to doing this on a much regular basis, much more regular basis. Excuse me. Um, look forward to uh, look for the Black Friday sale deal coming out for Standing Stone Supply. If you're interested in supporting the content, you like this, you like our videos, hit us up at Patreon.com/slash/StandingStoneKennels. And uh, I'm the guy with the pink gun. I'm Cat the Dog Trainer. We're out of coffee but we're probably going to stay up a lot longer because of all the coffee. We, we've got some, we've got some work to do. More work to do. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, we'll see y'all in the next video. <laughs>